Chapter Thirty Six of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jairus Amar. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter 36 Camels The camels are another group of animals whose phylogeny has been very clearly demonstrated by the fossil evidence, the perfection of the record being second only to that of the horses. Add to this the fact that they are throughout almost their entire evolutionary career exclusively North American forms and their title to a high place in our interest is complete. Place in Nature As the horses were representatives of the perisodactyla, or odd-toed ungulates, so the camels belong to the other great group of hoofed forms, the even-toed artiodactyla. The latter, while largely eliminated from the Western world, are still comparatively numerous in Africa and Eurasia, where at least 250 distinct species are known, as against 34 for the Americas. That the artiodactyla were formerly much more abundant, especially in North America, is forcibly brought home to every collector of fossil vertebrates in the West. The principal points of agreement of all artiodactyls are the axis of the foot lies between digits 3 and 4, rather than within digit 3, as in the perisodactyls. Hence the two digits, one on either side of the axis, are symmetrical and the number 2 is the irreducible minimum. While there are normally an even number of digits, the peccaries, tayasu, have three remaining in the foot and a five-toed ancestral artiodactyl is conceivable, for the oreodonts retained a well-defined vestige of the first digit of the hand. Another artiodactyl characteristic lies in the astralagus, the ankle bone which articulates with the tibia or shin. In common with that of the parasodactyls, the upper or tibial facet is pulley-shaped, but in the latter the distal facet is flat, thus permitting no movement between it and the succeeding tarsal bones. In the artiodactyls, on the contrary, the distal facet is curved in such a way that a double tarsal joint is formed. This type of astralagus, a very resistant bone, is an extremely common fossil and is absolutely diagnostic of the group. The molar teeth are invariably one of two sorts or a combination thereof. The crown is either covered with conical cusps, bunodont, as in the swine, or the cusps are crescentic, selenodont, the latter sort being typical of the cud-chewing forms of ruminants. Certain ancient types, anthracothors, had bunoselenodont teeth of a transitional character. The teeth may be short-crowned or, in the case of grazing ruminants, 
deep-crowned as an adaptation to abrasive food. They never, however, reached the degree of perfection seen in the true horses. Artiodactyls are apt to possess weapons, either tusks, which are modified canine teeth, or horns or antlers of various sorts and degrees of development, or rarely both. Osborne's classification of the artiodactyls is as follows. 1. Section Primitive Artiodactyls Families of more or less uncertain affinities. 2. Section Suina or pig-like artiodactyls. Pigs, peccaries, elethyrs, hippopotami. 3. Section Oreodonta. American primitive ruminants or oreodonts, cud chewing swine. 4. Section Tylopala, camels and llamas. 5. Section Tragulina, primitive and ancestral deer like ruminants. 6. Section Pecora, true or modernized ruminants, including the giraffes, deers, pronghorn antelope, old-world antelopes, sheep, goats, chamois, bovines, etc. Thus it will be seen that the camels occupy an intermediate place within the order. They are, however, an isolated group, as their connection with the other section is not yet clear. Tylopod Characteristics the tylopod characteristics are as follows. The limbs are long and two-toed. The metapodials, which are fused to form a cannon bone, diverge distally and have lost to a large extent the keels which serve to limit the lateral movement of the digits. Hence, the digit-agrade foot is yielding as an adaptation to desert sands. The feet are moreover, provided with one or two cushion-like pads, hence the name Tylopoda. The stomach is three-chambered. There is an ancient type of placenta, and the red blood corpuscles are oval instead of circular in outline, which makes the group absolutely unique among living mammals. Living genera Camellus there are but two living genera, each of which include a like number of species. Four altogether extant. One, Camelus, being confined to the old world, while the other, Alkenia or Lama, is characteristic of the new. The two species of camel are Camelus dromedarius, the one-humped Arabian camel or dromedary and Camelus bactranius, the two-humped Bactrian camel of Central Asia. The two species will interbreed, and the consequent hybrid or mule camel possesses the one hump of the dromedary and the brown, shaggy coat of the Bactrian parent. With the reversing the cross, see page 131, what produced the same result is not recorded, but upon a priori grounds one would not think so. 
the progeny of a male Bactrian and female Arabian camel is preferred to either of the pure breeds. The camel has rightly earned its name of Ship of the Desert, for practically all of its peculiarities are but an adaptive response to the harsh conditions of that inhospitable environment. Many of these adaptations have been mentioned in Chapter 14, but they must be reviewed and brought together in order that the evolution of their owner's ancient lineage may be the more appreciated. As in the horse, two directions of adaptation stand out sharply, that of speed, ever a desert requisite, and of teeth, for the harsh and scanty herbage. The other characteristics the horse does not possess, for they are the direct outcome of desert life. Speed Cursorial characteristics are well shown in the length of limb, reduction of digits, of ulna and fibula, and in the limitation of the range of movements of the limb joints. The feet, however, have retrogressed in that they are no longer unguligrade, but digitigrade, for almost the entire length of the phalanges, except for the intervening pad, lies flat upon the ground. The hoofs are reduced to nail-like structures, and the whole yielding foot, with its absolutely silent tread, is admirably designed to support the animal on the shifting desert sands. The foot retrogression somewhat diminishes the extreme length of the limb. But this is, to a certain extent, compensated for by the fact that the thigh is freer from the body than in other ungulates, and thus the length of stride is increased. Teeth The teeth of the camel have suffered a reduction in numbers, in that the dental formula is I one one over three three c one one over one one p three three over two two m three three over three three equals sixteen over eighteen equals thirty four instead of the normal forty four there is therefore but one upper incisor left on either side, and it is more canine than incisor-like. The lower incisors, on the other hand, are all present, more or less spatulate and procumbent, and the canine is somewhat similar and functions as an incisor. Behind the canine comes a short diastema, and then a recurved tusk-like premolar, which has assumed the discarded form and function of the canine. This is followed by a longer toothless area, and the four cheek teeth, the fourth premolar and the three molars, form an efficient compact grinding mechanism, of long crowned, but, as compared with the horse, relatively simple teeth. Hump the hump, which forms so very characteristic a camel feature, consists 
of a conical mass of gelatinous fat when the animal is well fed is nourishment stored against the time of scarcity and can be drawn upon during the passage of the desert whether or no any of the extinct camels possessed such an organ we cannot tell as it is entirely superficial and leaves no impression upon the skeleton the hump becomes flaccid and falls over on one side in an exhausted camel water reservoirs another desert characteristic is the development of water reservoirs in the walls of the stomach properly the paunch or rumen they are small flask-shaped cavities each with a constricting muscle at its mouth so that when the stomach is filled with water the muscles relax automatically allowing the water to enter the cavities while that which remains is absorbed into the system in time of water scarcity the stored liquid is allowed to trickle out into the stomach and is thence available for the impoverished blood senses the proud carriage of the head which is held horizontally some nine feet from the ground protects the eyes from the reflected heat and the eyes and nostrils from the sand the sense organs are still further protected the eyes by long lashes the ears by hair and the nostrils by being closable like eyelids the creature is keen of sight but what is still more necessary the sense of smell is very well developed so that water may be detected a long way off mentality mentally the wild camels are sagacious as the brain is large and well convoluted but the domesticated ones are so stupid that their bad traits are notorious thus palgrave observes in flower and lydecker if docile means stupid well and good in such a case the camel is the very model of docility but if the epithet is intended to designate an animal that takes an interest in its rider so far as a beast can that in some way understands his intentions or shares them in a subordinate fashion that obeys from a sort of submissive or half-fellow feeling with its master like the horse or elephant then i say that the camel is by no means docile very much the contrary he takes no heed of his rider pays no attention whether he be on his back or not walks straight on when once set a-going merely because he is too stupid to turn aside and then should some tempting thorn or green branch allure him out of the path continues to walk on in the new direction simply because he is too dull to turn back into the right road in a word he is from first to last an undomesticated and savage animal rendered serviceable by stupidity alone without much skill on his master's part or any cooperation on his own save that of an extreme passiveness neither attachment nor even habit impress him 
never tame, though not wide awake enough to be exactly wild. As beasts of burden, however, camels are entitled to respect, as one can carry 500 to 800 pounds, and their endurance is phenomenal. The Arabian breed known as the hairy camel, traveling from 125 to 150 miles a day for 8 to 10 days at a time. The distance from Tunis to Tripoli is 600 miles, yet a single camel has carried over that route a burden of rider and gear, weighing not less than 250 pounds in four days, an average of 150 miles a day. Uses Alive, camels are used as beasts of burden for their milk and for the shed hair which is spun and subsequently woven. Dead, the flesh is used as food, the hides for leather, the hair for fabrics, and even the bones are utilized. Their importance to mankind, especially to the nomads of the East and to traders between great cities, can hardly be estimated. Even in the twentieth century, the deserts of the globe and the arid plains of Egypt, Arabia, and Persia would be rendered impassable by their extinction without most expensively constructed and maintained railroads. Engineering and transportation science may in the future supplant the camel to the extent that they have the horse, but they have not yet done so. There are wild camels in remote Turkestan, the desert of Labnor, and in Spain, but some are certainly feral, that is, of domestic ancestry, and all are probably so, as there are ruins of ancient cities in the Asiatic portion of the range, of which the very traditions have vanished, and to whose departed citizens the ancestors of these camels may well have belonged. It is highly probable that they have not existed wild for thousands of years. The area of servitude includes Arabia, Persia, India, all of the country of North Tartary, to the confines of China, and the coast of the Persian Gulf, and the Canary Islands and Africa, north of the Sahara. There were none in Africa, however, until the third century of our era. Attempts to naturalize them in Australia and North America have been made. But the lack of success in America has not been due to the climate or other physical conditions of their ancestral home, but rather to their unfavorable reception by the Americans, who greatly preferred the highly serviceable, cheaper, and more tractable burro. End of chapter 36a